Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner. I'm a programmer at TIFFNOW, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Chrisanne Hessig, a documentary filmmaker and impact producer whose first feature, We Will Be Brave, follows the efforts of a group of Toronto men to overcome the challenges of racism, poverty, and patriarchy, and dismantle toxic masculinity in their communities. It premiered in Calgary earlier this fall, it just screened in Toronto at the Real Asian Film Festival this past weekend, and it'll be playing the Regent Park Film Festival next week on Friday, November 24th at 9.30pm. Tickets are available right now at rpff.ca, and you should check it out. Chris Ann chose What We Do in the Shadows, Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi's delightful 2014 comedy in which the pair play extremely uncool vampires in Wellington, New Zealand living with two other undead flatmates and spending far more time than seems healthy trying to get into an exclusive ball for the city's supernatural underworld, and eventually admitting that even if one is a terrifying creature of the night, one still has to do the dishes if one's name comes up on the chore wheel. This is someone else's movie. Well, I mean, to be quite literal, it's one of the very few digital downloads that I have in my library. I don't often download, like, uh, like buy movies and, and and keep them in my digital library. But it's because I know it's something I can come back to every single time. And there is a guaranteed laugh. Um, as a documentary filmmaker, it's like elevated because they what they did with that film is just genre bending like um and so much I don't know it's got a lot of like heart to it for being a film about vampire roommates (laughs) and yeah I mean guaranteed laugh that's for sure yeah it's so much fun it's one of those things that I never saw with an audience and regret there are so many oh you too yeah me too (laughs) I think it must have been a Vimeo link or something. It was it was before the TIFF. It was a Midnight Madness film, and I watched it alone on a screener in late August and laughed so loud I scared the dog. <laughs> it does have, oh yeah, it has maybe my favorite line delivery from Jermaine Clement in anything, which is the sandwich joke, which I am not going to spoil for people who haven't seen it yet. Yes, good one. Um, and then I got to to talk to Jermaine and Stu. They were both here uh, for the film. And it was the day Rob Ford dropped out of the mayoral race in 2014, okay. uh, announcing that he was sick. And so that news broke basically three minutes before my interview. I, I went into the interview talking to the publicist about what had just happened. And Clement's like, what? And I had to explain <laughs> well, Rob Ford to Jermaine Clement, which was not weirdly enough, not the weirdest time that came up, but it was up there. He just kept like, right, right, right. Like he was trying to process it and clearly couldn't. Uh, and then I got to talk to Taika. I think it was coming for Imaginative. It was coming back and he came in. It is such a strange, odd little footnote, right? That this tiny project they some friends came up with because they were bored and wanted to make a movie together ended up becoming until the Thor stuff anyway easily the most successful thing that either of them had ever tried and it was and they were already really successful it was just this this freak accident of the perfect material the perfect I don't know if it's the last great found footage movie but it feels (laughs) like the end of that for something Yes, yes, that's so good. The archives, like, I, like I, well, I rewatched it this weekend, um, which was such a pleasure to do. But I, I was really like 
so impressed and blown away by the archives looking at that again I'm like just from everything to like from the like the drawings of what they look like and in in the outfits to just like the the archives of them you know in their heydays in the medieval times and things like that it's just so creative and yeah I mean that sort of attention to detail I'm like because you know you're really just making up your own your own archives at that point it's so much fun yeah the the yes ending of it too like just the the simple improv trope of oh, run yes. with this yes um when you introduce fantasy when you bring in you know anything that's impossible you get to make up your own rules in a way mm-hmm. and what's fascinating about that is that when i when i talk to uh, both Tyke and Jermaine, uh, during the first, there was a press day for the first season of the show mm-hmm. and in Toronto, and they, they took a bunch of us out to the production offices and, and they were saying that Clement's actually really annoying about the rules, the vampire okay. rules. Like he's, yeah. he's borderline <laughs> obsessive about them. And when the actors on the show were improvising as the showrunner, he would just say, nope, can't do it from off camera. Like just they would start talking about what was the one example it was um it was all the lore from every every like not just dracula but every he he sort of um collated and and assembled this internal uh rule book for himself that he didn't share with the other writers so every now and then somebody would come up with something and and um i think it was i think it was Kevin novak saying that he'd gone like they'd gone swimming uh, or something like that. They just had a dip in a lake or a river and Clement from off camera goes, nope, can't cross running water and just <laughs> won't let them do it. And so he's doing all of this it. in character like because his character doesn't, you know, he doesn't really make it into the show for more than a couple of episodes, but watching him do it on screen live in the moment in these long, long takes, I can just see his, the gears working in his mind and it just makes everything so much funnier. Yeah. And I guess maybe like when, when, you film something in like that sort of documentary format, it feel there's an element to it that must feel real. <laughs> like it is a part of you. So I can, I'm not surprised at all that. And I mean, it was just so natural. Um, the, <laughs> the way they all came into their own characters. I mean, for a film about undead people, it's timeless really. And it's just, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those characters. Yeah, that, well, that was the goal. They both said the same thing uh, during the theatrical interviews, which is that the the whole joke of it was just you know like roommates who who can't break up, people <laughs> who have been together for too long can't you know like can't can't abide it. the chore wheel, um, are frustrated. And we all know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, and frustrated and annoyed by each other to the point where you know like you know someone so well that you can't stand them. I think is how mm-hmm. one of them put it. I'm not sure who, it. but it's. You know, it's not just roommates, it's relatives, it's marriages, it's all these things where you just recognize deeply human aspects in this preposterous monster behavior. And that makes yes. it even more fun. And then, of course, the spectacle of all of it, the idea that there are vamp- vampire enclaves in Wellington, New Zealand that no one has yes. ever bothered to notice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. The the community and the surrounding world that they built. I mean, it it made perfect sense that, you know, it got legs after the film and, you know, even Wellington Paranormal, um, the yeah. spinoff there. Oh, my gosh. Like, watching it again, like the um, the cops in the movie, I'm like, they were scene stealers then. <laughs> so, you know, to see them and I watched a couple episodes of Wellington Paranormal. It's 
it's so good, you know, like you could further dive into the world and all sorts of magical beings, not just vampires. So it's great. Yeah. And it makes sense too, because it is the ultimate yes and, right? Like it's the extension of this thing. Well, obviously if vampires are real, then there must be other things that are real. Although the preciousness somehow of the film only dealing with vampires and their annoyance with werewolves is better to me. Like I like Wellington Paranormal because it is set apart. You don't Mm -hmm. have to invest in it the same way as you do in this. Um, This just has, I mean, it's so much of it is to me is the sweetness of Viago just trying to make everybody yes. get along because he mm-hmm. he's still naive and hasn't given up on everything. Whereas, you know, Vladislav is so over everything and Deacon is cranky in his way, but also more energetic. The, just the, the, the generational aspect of vampires, yeah. the way that it demonstrates um, the longer you live, the more jaded you get, the more over it you are, and the more obnoxious you become because you no longer care um, mm-hmm. whether the people around you will complain about you because eventually they'll be dead and you'll just be coming up and annoying other people. Yeah, yeah. Who better to to um, have an excuse to be jaded than someone who can't die, right? <laughs> so that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so you said you saw it alone. Did you see it after the release? When did you catch it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was like years later. Um, you know, every around Halloween, I always just try and find some, you know, movies to watch for spooky season. And, um, this one came up and, and I was like, how have I not, I, at the time I had not heard of it. And so I watched it because I'm just like, okay, let me just see what it's about. And I watched it all the way through. And then that evening, um, my my partner came home and I was like, you need to watch this now. <laughs> and I was just like, what? And he, oh my gosh, like he loves it so much. Um, and I love just like seeing people like really laugh a lot when watching a film. Like I just love that effect. And for him, it's the it's the the footnote about how um Vladislav can never get the face right when he morphs into. <laughs> another creature and it's just all these like little details you know and and he's just like in stitches laughing the whole time but yeah the first time I watched it I was like I can't believe I didn't see this in a theater at like a midnight madness kind of event that would have been so incredible but I've seen it many many times since then and each time feels really good oh my god it would have killed at midnight madness I mean I know it did um and it just it, it was that that part where I was so tired that I, and I'd already seen it. And it's like, I kind of want to see it with a crowd, but I'm, it's late and I'm really tired. And I have a, an eight thirty in the morning and it just didn't, it just didn't happen. And I regret it 10 years later and I'm still <laughs> mad at myself. It's such a cheerful film too, right? I mean, the, the, that it, that it has a couple of jump scares is almost anomalous because yes. it's not, it doesn't feel like the sort of film that should have yeah. anything genuinely frightening in it. But I, I love that. I love the value of it that, that the uh, film crew isn't exactly bulletproof. They're yeah. tolerated, but if they get in the way, something's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. And um, uh, even the music, you know, like the music selection, I had that that theme song just in my head now for the last three days. And it's really hard to get out of your head, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those that, I mean, all the way through, you know, like the the just hodgepodge of instruments that they put together to kind of, um, you know, have it sort of 
evoke that kind of chaotic <laughs> lifestyle, um, but yeah. still like kind of slapstick. Um, and then, yeah, absolutely. Like with the, with the, um, the jump scares is something that I think is like so well done because you really don't feel it coming. Um, especially when it feels like a comedy for so long and then they'll, they'll like sort of get you in a moment. And I felt the same way about their visual effects too. Like after a while you get used to the, um, you know, the documentary style, like it's very shaky and like, uh, and then you'll see like, a. <laughs> like some very real visual effects um you know in the world of, of vampires and werewolves and all that and you're like oh my gosh <laughs> and you almost think it's real in that moment because it's it blends so seamless but um yeah i mean such a such a great subtle way of putting all those elements together for sure yeah it's that thing where if they weren't so talented it would be less seamless but they oh yes they know how to frame a scene they know how to pace the the sense of the trickery that's going on it just it invites you in further i think rather than yeah. pushing you away there's just this sense of play throughout the entire mm-hmm. thing um and and it's part of it is i think part of it is the sort of the gentle nature of the of the the improv the, the way things sort of spin out in these circles like expanding i don't know like concentric circles of jokes almost yeah. i don't know yeah, how else yeah. to explain it but the 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 little throwaway that Stu is the only person who can work a computer because <laughs> he grew up with them is one thing but also the the idea that every vampire only knows as much as they knew before they were turned yeah keeps paying off yeah for sure you know, I, it makes the chore wheel make sense retroactively because they can all understand a wheel with an arrow on it. But anything more complicated <laughs> than that is going to throw them. Yeah. And I have to say, so um, it really brought me back to my days in film school, because when I went to film school more than 10 years ago now, it um, the thing that everyone wanted to make at the time was a mockumentary. And uh, I mean, none of us could do it well. But it, like you said, what they nailed with the pacing and the and the room for improv in this movie it, it, in many ways it feels like the <laughs> the film school project that made it um mm-hmm. and uh yeah i mean it, it's uh it was fantastic fantastic to see that i pulled up my interview with with uh, taika from 2015 i was actually just listening to the <laughs> the robocop episode with jimmy oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> for the show I'm like oh I oh also love Paul Verhoeven. That's so cool. We could have could have gone for another two hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was the other thing. The way they shot it is the thing that I was trying to find here. Um, he they borrowed Peter Jackson's red cameras. Wow! They just reached out, and I mean, they obviously they know each other, but yeah, Taika said that they he has like sixty of them, and they were trying to actively degrade the image and make it look shittier. So people's wow. eyes would be fooled. So you would believe that you were seeing something real rather than something like crystal clear. Yeah. Super cinematic. <laughs> That's incredible. I saw his name in the special thanks and I was like, Oh, I wonder <laughs> what that was for. Well, now we know. Yeah. The, the other thing I was going to say that I I just remembered talking about my days in film school um, at the time, you know, in order to, to graduate, we needed these electives. And there was a course that was being offered, which was about the study of vampires. <laughs> and I could not believe that that was even a thing that was out there. But, you know, um, so we had to, it, like in that course, you know, we were watching all these films from 
um, about vampires. And sadly, I wish I was in that course after this film came out, but I had to watch a lot of presentations on Twilight and uh, interview with a vampire and all these things. And so that's why even coming down to the characters and like the, the, the references to history and mythology and um, down to like, you know, the physical look, but then even just like the personality traits, I was just like, I know, I know who they're, this is from and, and what they're trying to like compare this to and um, all the different, you know, inspirations that they would have gotten each character from and, and blending them in such a, a real humanizing way, which at the time back then we were only seeing vampires as these like godlike creatures. And now it's like, oh, no, yeah, they don't do the dishes for five years as well you know, yeah. and things like that. And oh, yeah, it was it was really cool to to see the effort in into the accuracy i guess <laughs> of the characters that they built yeah well i mean that that was the other thing too is that they they were dealing with the idea that um if you know you're going to live forever you're going to put things off right you, <laughs> yeah. you just um there's a there was a joke on the in a deleted scene there there was a bit where we see um vladislav's paintings and he says he's been working on them for 80 years and he's you know like he's really getting it and they're garbage they're terrible because he just hasn't made the effort and tomorrow maybe you know you'll get them, you'll get around to it oh my gosh so relevant yeah well and that was that was taika's whole thing he says like his his thesis on the film is that it's about the point of living is that you you know you're going to die that you have limited time and mm -hmm. so you should do the at least something anything other than nothing and this mm -hmm. is with that removed, that's what happens. It's just this, yeah. this social and and um, social and spiritual atrophy, is I think how he put it. And mm. in this case, because everybody is still so pompous and loose about it, it's really funny. Yeah, uh, it's it's just really funny to watch people not do stuff, and then go out and whine about not being invited to things. Yeah, I love I love even the reference. I felt this was so like even just relevant to now and and you know, how we're glued to our phones and social media and doom scrolling and all that. The scene where Vladislav, I guess, hasn't had a drink in a while. So he was all like desiccated being on the laptop for, I don't know how long. And I'm like, wow, sometimes that's how it feels internally when I spend too long on the computer, but it's just the visual of it was, I mean, yeah, yeah, super, super accurate. Well, the context adds it all, right? I mean, you mm -hmm. just, if it's a vampire doing it, we can relate to it without feeling shame <laughs> <laughs> very true even though very maybe true. we should maybe we should yeah i mean the other the other part about this film you know um that really sticks with me and and for myself as as a documentary filmmaker i i'm, I'm always just trying to really hone in on the humanness of a story regardless of all the other labels that can you know be put on top of that of course and uh i feel like i i was able to like we were able to get a glimpse into something so like a, a type of character or a type of uh creature i guess that that feels very one-dimensional but we're able to see them in such a human uh way and not in like a, a romanticized way <laughs> in the type of human side that you know we all have that we maybe don't want to look at you know or acknowledge so um yeah I, I i and you know it's just such a nice quirk to have it be a film about vampires but yet there's so much humanity to it yeah i mean the the beauty of of 
any genre fiction is that it lets you refract things through a prism. But vampires especially, I think it, it's, it's because of the idealization I, I've always thought. Yeah. Like if you can, if you picture vampires, um, you know, the way Stoker wrote them, they're aristocratic and, and sure, there's the, this whole other subtext to Dracula, which is xenophobic and distressing and about Eastern European immigrants coming to destroy England and everything mm -hmm. that was pure about it, which eh, says more about the author than it does about the Eastern yeah. European immigrants. But, but the, the way that the vampire, the same way the zombie is a template for everything and the werewolf kind of only goes in one direction, the werewolves are almost more limited because of the, the clear break between mm -hmm. man and monster. Yeah. And with a vampire, it's all wrapped up in one thing, but that means you can tilt it into any direction and find a facet that has or hasn't been explored to, mm -hmm. to really dig into. And the thing I love about what we do in the shadows is that it does give you all of them. You have a full on Nosferatu looking yes. ancient, <laughs> yeah. uh, along with people who seem genuinely sweet and just will also be eating people later. Yeah. In the show. Like just, <laughs> and they're making all, a mess on the carpet. <laughs> yeah. They're all ultimately going to be monsters, <laughs> but they're apologetic and polite. And you know, the, the veneer is very important to some of them. Yeah. Uh, just as, just as, you know, we all know that one person who looks great, but is probably a sociopath. <laughs> yeah. We all got our sides, right? Hey, it's Norm, interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on Shiny Things, my newsletter about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming project. Last week, I wrote about A24's boutique edition of Kelly Reichardt's Showing Up and looked at the new 4K restorations of Fargo and Scrooge from Shout and Paramount. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Semcast Blue Sky account. You like reading about movies? I like writing about them. Come check it out. The show became its own animal very quickly, which I think is is also amazing and proof that proof of my thesis that you can do anything you want with the vampires because they kind of replicate the structure with you know the the former monster, the conqueror, mm -hmm. Nandor becoming like stepping in for Vlad, and um, the sweeter, nicer one is now the familiar. It's, it's, mm -hmm. We have the, the addition of Guillermo and, and Nadia, the fact that they added a woman uh, to to throw the pomposity into relief while still being as obnoxious as the others, which is also yes. a great, a great yeah. get. Um, but also that they bring in Harvey Guillen's character, who the familiar who wants to be a vampire very, very, very badly to the point where he's spent 10 years actively ignoring all the horrible things vampires do because he aspires to it. Um, I gotta say, I was really concerned that the show would not work. I, I didn't think you could recapture that magic and they've mm. come up with something truly wonderful and bizarre in its own right. Have, have you? I mean, I've seen a bit of it. Yeah. Um, I remember, I, and I can't remember the the character or the actor's name, the, the, um, what do, what did they call it? The vampire that isn't a vampire, but he still sucks your energy. Colin Robinson. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I just remember that at that point I was like, wow, this is like, too close now. <laughs> I feel like I've had a direct experience in the past. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I remember thinking um, that, you know, because we got 
so much of the world was established, or at least it felt like to me, so much of that world was established through the first film. There was so much more that I was willing to just like take on and like see like, okay, let's where let's see where this can go because we already know that like there is this whole community in New Zealand and like, you know, like there's there's um the the level or the extent to which people know about vampires or don't and you know like the the context had sort of already been formulated that you know they could get right into the comedy and right into the the character storytelling so yeah yeah and a full range of other creatures as well as as well as paranormal did they've had um they've had sirens werewolves other energy vampires as well which is a a great expanding thing yeah um every season they seem to find two or three new mythological characters that they can fold in but always coming back to the idea of just these pompous twerps that (laughs) they were sent to conquer the world 300 years ago and they've just sort of got stuck in their own nonsense um Mm -hmm. and and the more time you spend with them the richer that nonsense becomes I really wasn't sure you could sustain it for more than a couple of seasons. And they're into their, I think the next season is season six now. And they're just, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know it was going for that long. That's, that's amazing. I I am really curious now, like what kind of other creatures or characters come across in the show? There must Um, be some crossovers even now. There there were a couple there. There's an episode that was the one that they had the press day for was actually the episode that brings in all the guest star cameo vampires. So, (laughs) okay. Oh, it's genius. They, well, spoilers for a four or five-year-old episode of the show, but they managed to bring in almost every actor who's played a vampire at some level of fame. So Tilda Swinton, who was a vampire in Only Lovers Left Alive, shows up. And some of it was shot in Los Angeles instead of Toronto, but they they stitched it all together really beautifully. Um, They brought back the characters from the the film, they Amazing. just appear as part of a vampire tribunal and and it is <laughs> delightful uh, to yeah. see them. And it was actually, it was one of those things where in the first season, I don't know if it's still there, but in the first season, they, uh, there is a portrait of, of Vladislav, of Jermaine Clement as Vlad. Okay. In the vampire manor, in the vampire residence on Staten Island. Um, they took us on a tour. We got to walk through the sets and I saw it. It's like, oh, that's nice. So this is the same continuity. And then someone else said, oh, I don't know about that. And then it's they're shooting his appearance that day. That was the day that the Jermaine first appears in the show. Okay, that night okay. they shot his scene. And it's just like, come on, guys, you're just being goofy about this. So the, <laughs> the idea that now it's like the lore has to be protected from this very silly little show. Right. But I guess that's part of it, too. It's the game that it plays with the with the viewer. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, when when that scene happens, it is just stunningly weird to see this this I mean, Wesley Snipes I think they got him on oh my gosh no on way webcam or something but he appears as well and sort of <laughs> grumpily reluctantly as part of this tribunal because as we know Blade is not a full vampire and it's just references yes. within references within references but also building out the world and telling you well in this world vampires not only are real but they play themselves in movies so no one thinks they're vampires I love that I mean, yeah, and nowadays everything has this sort of meta mentality to it. So I love, I love to, to see that. And I, I think even in the film, in the original film, there was a, a section where you know uh, I think Viago was going to be dressed as Blade, right? And then, yeah. And so yeah, that's that's so great. Some full circle moments. <laughs> yeah, I mean they've they've just got such an innate sense of 
what they can and can't do with these characters. And in the, in the film, it feels even more specific, obviously, because it's such a short window of time that we have with them, but you just, you end up lean, or I ended up leaning in to see if I could read the details in the backgrounds and see what's on mm-hmm. the fridge and things like mm-hmm. that, because there's mm-hmm. clearly thought put into all of this. Oh, and it's yes. because they had no time, right? They just threw this world together and then that made it even more real somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And even the costuming, you know, watching it again, I'm like, wow, like the wardrobe, it, it's got such a specific time period reference and, yeah. and it spans centuries. So it's, yeah, um, it was incredible to see that too. And even the the difference between the newer vampire and Deacon and, you know, the, you can see the similarities, but the eras are very different. Uh, just goes to show, you know, like that there's always going to, we're always revamping <laughs> new things. Oh, there's, you anyways, but yes, um, there's, we're always like trying, trying to bring things back and, 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 um, you know, what were once trends are now coming back and it will continue that way. <laughs> yeah. There's also the acknowledgement that we kind of fix our style at that point. Somebody said this once and I've never forgotten it. It's the, you, you, your preference for your own personal style will be the clothes you remember feeling your best in. So mm. I don't know what this is about me. I'm in a hoodie right now, but uh, <laughs> it's cool that. Yeah. But people tend to dress a certain way and then stick to it even after maybe they age out of whatever that is and mm. you know adolescence continues longer these days and 40 yes. is the new 60 or 60 what 60 is the new 40 whatever you want to however you want to play that could also be the new 60 <laughs> it certainly feels like it sometimes yeah <laughs> but the um the vampires are just this literalization of it because yeah they're walking around in the moldering remnants of the clothes they used to think were the height of fashion yeah yeah i love it the when uh uh, when the familiar, I forget her name now, but when she goes to the, 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 the cleaners <laughs> and with all the frills, <laughs> she's like, oh, you know, it's a hemophiliac, my husband, you know, <laughs> oh gosh, it's too good. Endlessly yeah. coming up with uh, excuses and terrible excuses. That's the other it's thing too. It's so like, terrible. Nobody really, yeah. no, there's no point in believing any of these excuses. They're all patently ridiculous. Yeah. And I always loved how, um, they would and how many times they were able to end a scene with the you know the character like sort of making that last minute eye contact with the camera like the office style but it always it still hits like every time you know and even though we've seen that so much with other mockumentary type things like it just shows that like if if the context around that that um secret eye exchange is is good enough like it will just hit the joke all the way home um, oh absolutely <laughs> so good it was the, yeah. like, it's the sense to me that v, when it's Viago, it's just the feeling that he's apologizing to the crew that yes. know, clearly it never comes up, but this was his idea. He <laughs> wanted to do something to connect to people. He's a little bit lonely and looking for new friends and can't admit it. It's, it's a world inside of those little yeah. moments that just oh, feels like absolutely. it's caught by the camera. Absolutely. There's like an intimacy, right? Um, it's yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. He also said, or Taika also said that he based the rule on his mother more than anything else. That he's just, um, the way here, the way growing up, she'd always make me do housework and do the dishes and keep a really clean house. Um, 
And that was his focus, that and wearing frilly shirts. Like he just <laughs> he just wanted to do this yeah. in a movie and no one had given him the opportunity. <laughs> I love it. You make your own opportunities. Yeah. Love that. And then in, on the, he's currently playing Blackbeard on Our Flag, Flag Needs Death, where, you know, he's nothing but frilly, old burned frilly yeah. shirts. <laughs> yeah, it's elevated. It's the next level for sure. Yeah. The frilly shirt obsessions of someone will write a thesis on this and <laughs> we'll all have to deal with it. Oh man, the rain is coming down. Yeah, really I, hard. I heard thunder here. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely that, heard some. It's uh, it's good. It, I mean, I, I, if, oh, I wish this uh, this episode would come out, and if we were a couple weeks back in spooky season, Halloween, like even the weather is like giving us the full <laughs> the full effect. I have like a candle lit and everything. It's like very <laughs> moody in here. <laughs> Love it. The podcast usually wraps with uh, a pivot into. The guests work and i've been having trouble figuring out how to get there uh from here because you have made this really serious minded i mean there is there is a link but it feels like it might just be insulting and i don't mean it to be but you've <laughs> yeah. made this you've made a film and I'll, I'll set this up in the intro so don't worry about that um but you've made a film about men trying to find a more positive way to be men effectively or to have the to to live with a masculine image um and when i was trying to come up with anything in this movie that might key in on that all i could come up with were the werewolves and that seems unfair okay you know what that that makes sense like um oh my gosh and even just like the werewolves and the alpha male like i'm just watching it the the scenes and the credits of what what we do in the shadows is just brilliance all the way till the end. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, like what ended up, I mean, I just love talking about the movie is mm -hmm. one thing, but the thing that I said before that um, about the humanity side of it, and that I think that's really with the film that I am uh, now releasing, I'm just trying to build empathy and I'm just trying to um, show individuals as humans <laughs> um, and not, so much like and and yeah just show everything that they need that they can offer um and without the expectations or the labels of what being a man has been traditionally seen as um and i guess i could always really um connect to the theme of being othered um you know uh, especially as men in these in this collective they can be seen that way because from their respective communities, they, in many, in many cases, they are the only one that is tapping into their emotions that they know of the only one that, um, you know, cares to do the hard work to heal. And as much as doing that healing work can get you on a path to be better um, for yourself and for everyone around you, that journey is often lonely and um, can't really be done without community around you and in community. And I mean, it could be kind of a stretch, but that's really elements that I see in this movie, in what we do in the shadows. It's it's about, you know, how life can be lonely sometimes and you may not know where you're going or if you'll get there, but what matters is who you're with along the journey and how you can support each other through those ups and downs. I don't know, maybe that's cheesy, <laughs> but then this could also be just because I'm also, you know, now very focused in, in the film and tuned in into the film and the community that I made it with. But 
yeah, those are the elements, the connections that I see. I think so. I mean, it's it's pulling on real things to land the jokes, right? I mean, you have to ground these things in in something that's tactile for the audience to to grasp onto. And the sense of disconnection and, and lack of community, certainly 10 years ago, I think it's it was there, but I think it's even more profound now that we're splintering further and further and further. Um, and there is the werewolves do come back in the show and there is something mm-hmm. genuinely sweet about them trying to figure out where they belong and, yeah. and the show trying to figure out where they belong in this larger, um, in this larger canvas that they've built for themselves. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the real, the metaphor is, is kind of unmissable really. Like mm-hmm. just, there is this, this ongoing question and it's in your film very clearly, very concretely about where you belong if you want to be better. Mm-hmm. I think better is, is the right word, isn't it? I would say so. You know, we're like the path is only to become better, right? Um, better than we were yesterday, better than whatever we had holding us back. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say better is fine. <laughs> we had our world premiere for the film in um, in Calgary. We're going to be screening at the um, Regent Park Film Festival in Toronto on November 24th. And will there be members of, of the good guys will people be yes. there yeah yeah so we have all the all the good guys um are gonna be in attendance um for the toronto screenings and um you know we look at this as really just the beginning um the work that they're doing um it continues and uh they need more support than ever to you know really um continue doing that work the community work and and uh fostering healing spaces for men and racialized men. Um, So, you know, for us, the film coming out is really almost like the first step because we got big plans for an impact campaign with the film to take the guys outside of Toronto um, and to be able to connect with more men and men's groups um, across Canada and um, really showcase the power of art in, in healing. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. How was Calgary? What was the, what was the reception like? Uh, it was good. I mean, we had some, we had done some, because it, it's not our like hometown and we didn't have as many connections. It wasn't as big of a screening, um, but it was the first. And for a film like this, that, you know, it, it, in some, sometimes it can feel quite scary to release a film like this in these times. Um, yeah. But there was a lot of very warm uh, reception from the audience. Um, a lot of, um, yeah, like people sharing their own stories. Um, And, you know, I found, I was like, okay, wow, if a film like this can open the door for folks wanting to tap into their own emotions and their own healing, then, you know, we, there's so much more that we can do with, with a film like this. So um, with, with Toronto, it's going to be interesting because we have, um, you know, all the, all the guys present too. And uh, they're all, you know, making waves in their own respect in the different arts um, fields that they're in. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. My thanks to Chris Ann Hessing, whose new documentary, We Will Be Brave, screens next Friday, November 24th at the Regent Park Film Festival. Thanks also to Angie Power. She knows what she did. You can follow Chris Ann on Instagram at chrisann20, C-H-R-I-S-A-N-N-N-2-0, and yes, that's three N's. And you can find what we do in the shadows in a special edition Blu-ray from Paramount Home Entertainment. 
It's also streaming on Hollywood Suite in Canada and available to rent or buy on various VOD services in the U.S. and Canada. You can find me on Blue Sky at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it, or this show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get the new booster when you can. I'll see you next week.